is, today's date is November 3rd, is the 21st of Cheshvan, and we're starting on Zayin Amud Bet. My name is Dan Mario, as I'm filling in for Rabbi Linzer, because he is out of bris, so we wish Mazel Tov to the family. And we continue with Zayin Amud Bet, towards the top, the Gemara starts, Uma'aymin Aleha. So the Mishnah had said that the uh, Beit Din tries to uh, impress upon the woman who's going to go through the social ritual the severity of what she's doing because of the concern. The Mishnah said that, um, let me just find the exact line, that they should not erase God's name because it's written Bikdusha. Sorry, it's right towards the beginning of the Mishnah. Um, I mean, I'll impress upon her the severity of what's going to happen, just like we do with witnesses who are testifying to a capital crime. Uh, because, why? Um, so that we shouldn't erase God's name for no reason. Because part of the severity of the Sota ritual is that God's name is written in the Megillah Sota. And then the words, the ink of the uh, Megillah are erased into the water, scraped off into the water. And so, I mean, part of that is the beauty of the Sota ritual that we see from the Agatha. God is willing to have God's name erased in order to bring Shalom bias to this couple. Uh, however, uh, it is, there is an issue to erase God's name. So we want to prevent the erasure of God's name, if at all possible. So the Gemara is going to ask a question. So I don't understand. We have a Brisa that, uh, from the Tosefta that actually expands on this notion and says, just like we scare her into not drinking, so too we scare her into drinking. So what does that even mean? How can you have it both ways? If we're saying that the whole point of scaring her is that she shouldn't end up going through the ritual because we don't want to erase God's name, then what does it mean to scare her into drinking? Okay. Um, if it's so clear to you that you have not committed adultery, you're going to remain healthy, uh, and you should drink the water. Because the water, the bitter water, is like a dry medicine, which is put onto raw flesh, onto um, exposed uh, wound. If there is a wound there, then the, the sam, the medicine, will dissolve in the moisture of the blood and penetrate into the skin. Okay. But if there is no wound, then it won't do anything. In other words, to say... If she's innocent and she drinks the water, then it's not going to do anything. And therefore, you've made God's name erased for no reason. But if she did something wrong, uh, if, sorry, the opposite. If she's innocent of the adultery, then the whole point of the ritual is to prove her innocence. And therefore, uh, it's, it's beneficial for her at this point to actually go through the ritual. So there are two different stages. So we're trying to say, okay, So before they have erased the Megillah Sota, then we try to encourage the woman to admit to having done adultery so that she should not have to go through the ritual and erase God's name only for her then to have this miraculous punishment come about. On the flip side, if they have already erased God's name, then you don't want it to have been for no reason, so you want to encourage her to drink and to try to tell her, really, you should think that you're innocent, really, you should go through with it because it's going to be beneficial for you. But Omar Lafaneha, so what do we say before her? They... So the Mishnah had said, they say before her, There are things that are not suitable to be heard, and that you tell them to her anyway. So what does that mean? Okay, so Tanur Rabbanan. We tell her, something, Some kind of a story that's going to inspire her or arouse her, her um, emotions about this activity. So why is it not Kedai Lashomam? So we're going to hear why. One second. Is it a Kedai or a Nam Kedai? It says, will speak about this, that you shouldn't have this fear from earlier generations, because what's the problem? So if you look at what Rashi says, things that happened in earlier days, because earlier, wise people in previous times were able to admit to their sin and repent for it. So why is that We're going to hear why in just a second. Two examples. So what are the two examples? 
Okay? Yehuda hodevelobosh, Yehuda admitted his sin and was not embarrassed. Mahaya sofo, So Yehuda was able to then inherit Olam Haba, Ruvain hodevelobosh, and Ruvain admitted his sin and he was not embarrassed. Mahaya sofo, Olam Haba. And Ruvain was also able to get Olam Haba. Here the rabbis are going against their general principle, which we've seen in Megillah, which is that generally we think at least from the Tarash Belpeh perspective, Yehuda and Ruvain did not actually do anything wrong. Okay, so there's some machlokis about it, but we say that we don't, when we read those parshiot in the Torah, we don't have the Targum, so that people shouldn't be misled by the Pshat understanding of the story of Ruvain. The story of Ruvain sounds like from the Pshat that Ruvain literally slept with his stepmother. Um, and Chazal tell us that it was something less severe. According to one of the times he did, fine, but at least according to the way this Gemara is saying, is, these are things which you really shouldn't be hearing because it's either uh, embarrassing for someone who really was a big tzaddik or it's embarrassing for someone who's mentioned in the Torah. This goes into the major question in, in Israel now, or perhaps from a few years ago, the debate about uh, learning Tanakh, the Gova Hainain, how much can we relate to characters in Tanakh as real personalities, as real characters, and how much do we have to consider them as people who are so far beyond our level that we can't even question them and, and things like that. So Yehuda, Yehuda's relationship with Tamar, his, his uh, daughter-in-law, and how much was that really the right thing for him to have been doing at that time? How much was it not the right thing for him to be doing at that time? And, then, and again, in the Peshat, it sounds like he says, I made a mistake. He says, Sadikami Meni, she was correct and I was wrong. So at least the way this is being read, we take a value from the Peshat of these stories, even if in other places Chazal are telling us we have to read those stories with another layer of meaning, so that's exactly the point of this, which is they think they're authorizing even reading a story wrong, the wrong way yeah, in order, down. reading it how it's not, well that's the question about how much is the value of pshat in, in uh, study of Tanakh, especially from the rabbinic perspective, the Ramah quotes this, I think it's in one of his chuvot in, um, now I'm forgetting which simon it was, it's one of the chuvot of the Ramah, he says this is the proof that basically embarrassing a Talmud Chacham is, is part of what's allowed in terms of uh, more broadly the process of Sota, getting people to confess their sins, getting people to bring Shalom bias and to repair their relationships. So this is an example of that. Okay. Um, so we see here... Okay. okay, so the story of David is an interesting question as well. The rabbis also tell us that David didn't sin, and he's not mentioned here. It's an interesting question, but David is a descendant of Yehuda in a certain sense, has the same parallel to that story. Yes? The David Shevener doesn't even appear in Deuteronomy. That's a good point. Okay, um, fine. Okay, Ruvain Hodev Rabosh Mahayatofonach Chai Olam Haba. So they both get Olam Haba Umas Haran. So Gemara asks, so what was their reward? What do you mean, Mas Haran? We just said they both got Olam Haba. El Mas Haran by Olam Hazer. What's their reward even in this world? So the pasuk says, Lahem Levadan Inaharet. Um, which is seemingly a kind of a hint to the fact that Ruvain was among the tribes that first got their inheritance on the east side of the Yardane. So Ruvain was able to really have the first chalek in Eretz Yisrael. Uh, so we know that Yehuda admitted his sin because of why. It says, Because it says explicitly in the passage that Yehuda admitted to having done something wrong. Ella Ruvain. Uh, so how do we know that Ruvain admitted to having done something wrong? So what does it mean when Moshe is giving his brachot to the tribes at the end of uh, Sefer Dvarim? And Moshe says, Ruvain should live and not die. And then it says, uh, Rashi notes that the only one of the brachot that starts with seemingly unusual word, Vizot, is the bracha for Yehuda. Um, so it seems to be a connection between what Ruvain did and what Yehuda did. It starts Ruvain and then Yehuda, and again, again some of the Mepharshim there discuss the question, why are they out of order, why are Shimon and Levi left out, things like that. Um, so here it's con- making a connection between Ruvain living and not dying, and then what did, what did Yehuda do? Yehuda had admitted his sin. Kol otan shanim Yehuda So the entire time that B'nai Yisrael were in the desert for 40 years, the bones of Yehuda were rolling around in the coffin. And Moshe prayed for him. Who was it who was responsible for the fact that Ruvain did tshuva? It was Yehuda. So the fact that Yehuda was suffering for his sin, but was in the end, uh, was rewarded um, by having that punishment cease after 40 years because of the fact that it was his 
personality and his character and his having admitted his sin that inspired Reuven to do tshuva. It's an interesting thing. It's not because of the fact that he did tshuva himself, but because he inspired Reuven to do tshuva that he gets rewarded with this. Vezot Yehuda, miyad, shema Adonai kol Yehuda. And that's why the next line right after that is that God, God heard as if Yehuda cries out, and, and therefore that uh, he was uh, rewarded in that way. al evared the shafa, because what, is it, what was it that he was praying about? That his uh, limbs were, were disjointed out of their socket. Um, Rashi notes the connection to the, one of the trefot uh, in Chulin on Dathmen Beis Amun Beis is, um, is Buka da'atma, uh, Buka da'atma de if the hip socket is dislocated out of the hip joint, uh, that is one of the trefot, and shaf means that the, the joint was out of place. So, evare uh, de shafa, that his limbs were, were dislocated, or somehow that even in death this was a punishment for, you, uh, for Yehuda. So, so Yehuda shouldn't have made the, the, all this was happening, even though he said, I don't bring it back to you, I'll be sinning to you forever. He did. So it all worked out well. So Yehuda still being. Are we trying to say, I mean, and I thought that's the reason why you're still, because of his quote-unquote sin of Tamar? Like, in other words, why was the... Somehow, because of the sin of Tamar, in some way, it seems like, Yehuda was punished for 40 years, that his, his, while they were, once they had exhumed his, his bones from Mitzrayim, and they were bringing them to Eretz Yisrael, along with the other Shvatim, uh, of the other, of uh, the Yaakov's 12 sons, um, that he was being punished in some kind of a, posthumous way, his bones couldn't relax, uh, and therefore after well, the time at the end of... Because the Rashi makes the whole thing about Nidori al Sinai. Oh, we're going to... Yeah, Rashi it mentioned... It makes so much sense. I mean, you know, at least, you know... Look. No, let's keep going. Okay. So what was another punishment that Yehuda had? They wouldn't accept him in, in the yeshiva in Shamaim. Uh, up in heaven, they wouldn't listen to him. In, in you know, of course, I love whenever the rabbis imagine that heaven is like a medrash. They wouldn't let him in. They wouldn't accept. So we see, okay, ve'elamotivienu. So then they they would bring him in. Okay, right, exactly. They're parsing exactly the bracha that Moshe gave. Is each one is then a a um, reparations for the punishments that you had had. So ve'elamotivienu. So they they bring him into his people. Ve'lo hava kayadim mishkal. Uh, it probably should be, like you see on the side from the Masoret Hashat, um, Mitra, like Shakla Vitaria, like uh, Bishmaisa, that they had Shakla Vitaria. They had the back and forth of the debate in, in the Beth Medrash, or the Hadei Rabbanan. Uh, so, so he couldn't do it. They wouldn't let him participate in the debates in Shamayim, even once they let him in. So then, Yadav Ravlo, his hands are, are strong for him, his hands are, are good for him. Okay, so that was then reparations for that. He was unable to teach or to learn the sugyot uh, finally until their halachic conclusion. Uh, and therefore Moshe blessed him, that the Torah should be a protection for him um, from his enemies, that that should be, uh, that he should be able to learn the sugyot. Uh, it's interesting to note, the rabbis often put an emphasis on studying Talmud that the conclusion, we should be learning halachic conclusions from our sugya. So, of course, that's why we spend all of our time here in Sosa learning Agadatha. Um, uh, okay, so well, uh, well, obviously, we are superior to those rabbis because we don't do that today. Well, we have some of each. We have to make sure, you know, we pay attention when there are halachic conclusions in the Gemara's, we pay attention. So, we'll keep going. Okay, Bishlama, Yehuda de Odi. So we say, fine, it's okay to understand that Yehuda had admitted his sin, because the whole, the whole reason that Yehuda had to admit his sin in public was so that Tamar shouldn't have been published, uh, punished. Killed. And killed, burned, burned at the stake, it seems. It's interesting to note as well, Chazal, when they understand the, the punishment of Srefa, which we, there are, uh, I think, four, four, um, uh, averred in the Torah that you get punished with Srefa, I could be wrong about the four. I have to check. Um, so, Shreifa in, in Chazal doesn't mean burning at the stake. It means uh, an internal burning, and that's a very fascinating sugi in Sanhedrin. We're going to see it's going to come up in just a second. We'll talk about it in just a second. So, so why should Ruvain have admitted his sin at all? There's no toelas. There was no reason for him to do that. Interesting to note. Okay, so this is interesting. So what's the Gemara's answer going to be? The Hamar Avsheshah. 
So what did Rosh Hashanah say? Chatzif alai, the Mifrat Chatate. He was worried about uh, publicizing his sin. He was worried that that his brothers would be suspected for what he had done, and therefore he had to make a public declaration. It's one thing that... He made a public declaration. So that's what they're saying. They're saying he had to make a public apology. So on the one hand... I'm sorry, you made public apology to some people who didn't even know anything about this? Okay, the assumption is that normally, whatever it was that he did wrong, he would have gone to apologize to Yaakov personally or something, but other people who would have heard about what happened, but they didn't know who was responsible, they would have suspected any of his other brothers. He had to make a public apology to note that it was him and not anyone else, that no one else should be hushed for that sin. It's interesting to see, you know, there with the Rambam in particular, but it's really from the Gemara, notes that for different types of sins, uh, it's better to do a private apology just between a person and God or a public apology. Mitzvah ben Adam lechavero, you have to publicize the fact that you sinned and you're, doing it, you're publicly apologizing for it because you really hurt another person and that's part of the way you make, you make it better. But for mitzvah ben Adam lemakom, it's better to just keep it between you and God. There's no reason to publicize the fact that you did that sin. That's just some, adding something else onto it. You know, why should you make that public? Okay, says the Gemara, So what if the woman admits that she had had adultery? So what did we do? We say we break her ketuba. Shovrim ketubata. So what do we mean We break the ketuba. We write a receipt for the ketuba. Um, it's interesting to know, if you look in the last Rashi on the page, um, the, that the alternative, uh, if, oh, sorry, not up to that yet. One second, sorry. Okay, so Shmat Minah Kotzim Shovar, we read a receipt, Amar Tani Mikrat. So shouldn't we say, no, 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 you tear up the Ktuba. We should change the way the Mishnah reads. It means, Shovrim, you break it, you just tear up the Ktuba. If you tear up a star, if you tear up the, uh, the, the deed, then there's no way to claim the debt. So the question is, what's the better way to ensure that uh, the Ktuba the has, has been paid in a case where you would pay the ketubah, or in a case where it hasn't been paid, that it should not get paid in the future. One way is to write a receipt that cancels out the star, but you leave the initial star hanging. And one is to just tear up the initial star. Malay Rava, what? Or do, what's the point of having to keep, in other words, on who is the onus to, to, to make sure that things are registered properly? Is it the person who's trying to claim the, the debt, and then they have to then have a receipt that says uh, accounts are all settled, or is it on the responsibility of the person who is claiming uh, the debt? So, and that, that's really the question. Right. Exactly. She doesn't get the ketubah. So give the husband the receipt that he does not have to pay the ketubah. So Amar Le, rather the Hasho Veret, Katani doesn't say, it says you break it. So you can't change the Mishnah. What are you saying, Abaye? No, we're talking about a case where they don't write a physical document for the Ketubah. The Ketubah is done entirely orally. It's an interesting note. If you read all the different figures across Shas, it sounds like in some places the Ketubah is the Raita, in some places the Ketubah is the Rabbanan. And which aspects of it are which? And the Rambam has a very interesting formulation. In the beginning of Hilchot Ishus, the Rambam says that the mitzvah of Kiddushin is that you should get married, the Kiddusha, the Ketubah is part of the mitzvah of Kiddushin. Interesting thing to note there in the Rambam. Um, and to note, what do you mean? A, case, a place where they don't write a physical document for the Ketubah? Then how would that even work? So Rashi here at the bottom says two possibilities. Either, number one, when she gets divorced, she then brings the get itself as a proof that she's divorced and she can claim the Ketubah. Or, if she's uh, widowed, it's much more involved process. She would actually have to bring witnesses who saw the fact that her husband is dead in order to be able to claim from his uh, estate. Okay. So that, that's more strict than actually being able to re- remarry. Exactly, because she would only need one one. Right. Um, but interesting to note as well, well, by Mamonos, you know, Moti Mechaver Allah Harai, you need a very strong claim in order to extract money. Also, to note here, it's much more involved and difficult process than just having the Ketuba. In a certain sense, you could see this as part of the historical development of the Ketuba as a document, that at first it was an oral agreement, and then the rabbis realized that it was a huge pain for the woman to try to do this in the case of uh, if she were widowed or divorced, and so then they instituted that she could just have a star in her hand and bring that. Okay. It's a little strange that, I mean, shouldn't the, why are we relying on the woman to, if, if we're talking about Shobar, why are we relying on the woman? Like, why doesn't they can just issue a, a bit saying? Well, that's what it is. The Beit Din writes the Shobar and gives to the husband that, that it oh, will right. pay. 
Okay. Shoveres, no, I don't know. Shoveres, whatever. She breaks it. It's not, well, again, the, the way they're trying to read it into the Mishnah is interesting because really the Mishnah's lesson says, Shoveres, she breaks her ktuba. It sounds really like what Abai is saying. Koras, she makes mama kras. She just tears up the star. It shouldn't be anything more than that. We should look at it on the same floor because I can see the part of the issue. So if I just say something bad about you, I should go publicly apologize. Oh, I said something bad about you. I'm sorry. If anything, is inspiring more people to support what you say. So you asked a very good question and... Later postgame have dealt with how to actually put it into play in in cases where things like that are are sensitive issues. Meaning you're actually navigating not just your relationship with this other person, but much more broadly. But if you say someone like someone embezzled money from many different people, they really have to make a public apology. They can't just apologize to each person involved. Yeah, okay, for sure. I mean, to me, there's there's a lot more to be said about it. We have to keep going. But yeah, no, it's a great question. Meaning, how do you put it into practice is really a much more difficult question than the way that sounds like. I mean, it's not reasonable, of course, to apologize in public right. to no one else. Yeah, sure. Yep. So, well, that's exactly their concern. Their concern is that by Ruvain publicly apologizing, he's actually making more of a problem. He said no. He was concerned that his brothers would be hushed, and therefore he had to override and, and uh, suppress that concern. Okay, the Imam Ratahorani, we're in the last line of Zayin Amudbet. The Imam Ratahorani... Ma'alino tali shari mizra. So we bring her to the eastern gate, which is probably Shar Nikanor, the Nikanor gate, which is the main entrance between the Ezrat Nashim into the the main Azara of the of the Beit Hamikdash. So really, that's the halfway point uh, on in in the Beit Hamikdash. Ma'alino tali shari mizra. Ma'alino ta. What does it mean? They bring her up. Oh, Charlie has a picture. I happen to be learning the second. There you go. Mido. He's learning Mido. So you have the map here. You have the map of Beit Hamikdash. So the Shar Nikanor was the big gate and it had. Uh, two smaller doors on either side and had 15 steps going up to it. It's really the central point, especially for people who are Israeli and don't have any reason to be going into the Azara. That's where people who are in Beit HaMikdash would be hanging out. It's called Ezrat Nashim because women were there, but men were there as well. Um, lots of different people who didn't have any reason to go into the Azara. Okay. Malinota, what does he mean? They bring her up there. Hatam Kaima, she was already there. Okay. Uh, because we said that already earlier in the process she had already been brought to Shara Nikanor. So what does it mean they have to bring her up? The Beitin Hagadol is the Lishkat Hagazit is on the boundary between. Uh, Charlie can show you on the map, but the the Beitin Hagadol, the Lishkat Hagazit, they sit. Uh, their their Lishkat Hagazit straddles the border between the Azara and Israel Nashim. Uh, it's half yeah, Kodesh and half full. Lower, right? No, but the Sharni Kanor is, is also right at the edge, so there's no difference. So the Gemara says, they, they make her walk all around the Harabai to tire her out so that she should um, be more weary and, and be more willing to admit if she were guilty that she would be more willing to admit. And therefore, on the flip side, to make sure that the fact that she's drinking the sota water is because she really does believe that she's innocent. And this is comparable to Tanya, Bishim ben Omer, that for witnesses to a capital crime, we also make them schlep all around in order to tire them out so that we should try to confirm the fact that they're not telling false testimony because, again, in a capital crime, if the witnesses are lying, then they're killing an innocent person. On the flip side, we have a mitzvah to actually tell their testimony if they're telling the truth. So in order to try to create a disincentive to people to lie, we really make it such a pain, but at the same time, they have to encourage them to say, if you really are telling the truth, then you really have to do it, and it's a big mitzvah. So this is a difficult thing of really trying to ascertain the truth. They add in this other piece uh, of trying to schlep them around to tire them out. There you go. Okay. Okay. is that tiny little square on the bottom side. Uh, okay. Surprisingly small. Surprisingly small. It has to fit at least 71 people in there. Okay. So at the place, meaning at the Shar Hamizrach, that's where they make the Soto drink. Because the Pasuk says you have to do it So if the woman has to drink so that's where it should be. And the Mitzorah, the Mishnah had listed that this is the place for Sota and Mitzorah and Yoledes. So Mitzorah, the Kohen has to stand up the Mitzorah Again, at the entrance of the Beit Hamikdash, or at the entrance of the Mishkan, and therefore that's the place where he goes. It's interesting, of course, that the Mitzorah is excluded from living in the, even anywhere within the city of Yerushalayim or any walled city, and then for the Tahara process is brought back inside the city, and the symbolism behind that is very powerful. Okay, Ella, you'll let us. But what about a woman who's given birth? My time, so why does she have to stand there? 
Who isn't it, if you'll say, it's just because of the reason that anyone who's bringing a korban has to be there to participate in the korban, to watch the korban, and that's the reason why even for the korban tamid, uh, Jewish people, uh, Israelim, had to come to Jerusalem to be part of the ma'amad as well, the ma'amadot, that was in the Sechatanit. A person can't bring a sacrifice unless they're actually there, or if they send a shaliach to bring it for them. So then shouldn't you say, fine. So the rule for Yoledes should be also Zav and Zavad. There's no reason why the Mishnah should have listed Yoledes, but not anyone else who's bringing a korban, and the comparable people who bring a korban of Mechasuri um, Kapara are Zav and Zava. So Nami. And Achinami, the Tanachad and No. They just, the Mishnah listed one, just you let us, but really it meant all of them, fine. Tosos, in a number of places throughout Shas, has a whole problem with the fact that the Mishnayot in particular and Tanaim use a Lashon that sounds incredibly inclusive or exclusive, a very strong Lashon, uh, but then really there are all sorts of exceptions. And how do you deal with the fact that uh, Tanaitic statements have lots of exceptions? Um, so Tosos deals with that a lot, a lot of places. Hmm? Yeah, they have a ton of ishayer, all kinds of things. Okay, ten rabbanim. Ein mashkim shtei soto ka'achat. You cannot make two soto drink at the same time. Busy day. Hmm? Busy day. A busy day. Okay, so this is an interesting question. Number one, the point here um, is the point of the fact that, uh, now I forget who says this, is someone brings from this proof that you don't have to wait until the regalim. Sota you do immediately. Because if you would wait until the regalim, then you would probably have a number of women who are sota all at once, and you try to smush them all together. So the mission, uh, Bryce says, Ein sota that she shouldn't be more haughty because she sees her her fellow sota woman next to her. Because what would happen if one of them is being very stubborn and the other one is being very stubborn, then they'll both end up, even if they were guilty, they would end up drinking the water. Yes. Well, there's another practical matter, right? During the Chagim, there's a zillion things going on. In the it's city. also true. That's another good argument why not to push it off. Um, no, but, uh, together, so this is all, uh, yeah, it's also a good point. Right, having the slaves and yeah. servants there as well. Right, is that she, that she should not have liba gas Okay, Behuda Omer, lo min Hashem huzeh, el amar kra uta levada. It's not based on a svara. It's not based on this idea of, oh, liba gas No, it's a pasuk. It's Zerah HaKatu, Votalevada. The Pasuk says, just her by herself. It's an interesting Machokas. They both agree on the Halacha, but they're disagreeing about the proof. One is saying that it's a Svara, and one is saying that it's Zerah HaKatu. is one of the good examples of the fact that Chazal treat a good Svara as a Doraisa. Okay. So Tanakama is Rabbi Shimon. The Darish time of the Kra. Rabbi Shimon says, "Oh, I'm just telling you the reason for the pasuk." He agrees that the pasuk says Otalavada, but he's telling you the reason and therefore the limitations on the Doraita, the Gzerat Hakatuv, is based on the logic behind it, which is Shuli Libagas Bechavarta. This is Machlokas between Rabbi Huda and Rabbi Shimon in other places in Shas about uh, Darshin and time of the Kra. Can we apply an understanding of the reasons behind uh, Drashot and the reasons behind Psukim to Provide more parameters to the halachot that we learn out from them. My time of kamar. So ma tam otalavada So the reason why she should be by herself is so that she should not have this haughtiness. My bainaihu. So what's the nafkamini? Bainaihu rotetet. A person, a woman who is particularly fearful and nervous about the sota water. So then, even if she were accompanied by another sota, she wouldn't. Uh, we wouldn't have the fear that she would be emboldened by having uh, another sota with her. Uh, interestingly enough, the Tosus Harash uh, says rotatot, uh, plural, because what if one of them is one, one of them is very fearful, but the other one is still cool with it? Then she'll be emboldened by the other one, even which we have to cover both bases. Okay, the rotatot mimashkin. So, can you really make someone who's totally fearful uh, drink the water? Meaning. Fine, you'll tell me just because she's afraid, so then we don't have a fear about liba gas so we could do two at one time. What do you mean? Who says we could do two sotas at once? We have a better proof, we can't do two, uh, we can't bundle up our mitzvot all together. Uh, here, Rashi says, if you look in the Rashi, the reason why we don't do mitzvot chavilos chavilos, chavilos chavilos, Rashi says, because... Um, you, it's like a, a heavy burden. It's like you're trying to get rid of a heavy schlep. People say, come on, let's, you know, let's have a minute, we have to get it over with. 
or something like that. The sense of mitzvot are just something to be yotze and move on, and not something to really cherish and take value in. So doing mitzvot, chavilos, chavilos, doing all your mitzvot all at once is to trying to rush through it. Um, okay, so Tosfos in uh, Moikatan actually has different rationale for uh, Mrs. Chavilos, Chavilos, and says uh, much more not that you're avoiding a negative value, but you're actually uh, embracing a positive value. Tosfos there compares that just like we don't have a wedding on Cholamoid because we want to treat Cholamoid with the Simcha it deserves and treat the wedding with the Simcha that it deserves, so too each mitzvah should be kept separate so that each one gets its own Simcha Shel Mitzvah and each one gets its own focus. Um, and one of the Achorn, Rabbi Yosef Engel, um, notes actually an interesting point based on principle Osir B'Mitzvah, Patzer Min HaMitzvah, so maybe the reason you can't do two mitzvot at once is because as soon as you're doing one mitzvah, it patters you from the other mitzvah. And so then you can't be doing both at once just as a technicality. Maybe you don't have to. I mean, okay, well, some acronym try to say that really you become usher to do the other mitzvah. Anyway, fine. And here's the same mitzvah, exactly. The other examples we see with Eino Ofsi Mitzvah's Chavilos, Chavilos are things often like, can you use the same cups to say Kiddush and Benching or Kiddush and Havdalah and all different things like that. Um, so those are different mitzvot that you're trying to push together as opposed to um, the same mitzvot over and over again. But now we have a b'risa. Okay, Ditnan, ein mashkin shei sotos ka'achas. You can't make two sota women drink the water together. Ve'ein metarin shei mitzoraim ka'achas. And you can't do the purification ritual for a mitzora, which involves the oil and the blood and the birds and everything. You can't do them both together. Ve'ein rotsin shnei avadim ka'achas. And you cannot pierce the ear of an eved k'nani uh, sorry, of uh, Eved Ivri, uh, both at once. The Eved Ivri you after... You could do one after the other. You could do one after the other, but you can't do them both together. <coughs> Eved Ivri, after he served for six years, is given an opportunity to go free. And if the Eved Ivri says, Ahavti as Adoni, I love the fact that I'm a slave, I love my master, I perhaps love the fact that my master has given me a wife. Um, so then he he gets his ear pierced, and the Torah says, Va'avadole Olam. Um, Interestingly enough, there's a machokas based on this. What do you mean? Eino sin mitzvah, chavilos, chavilos. Who said piercing the ear of a, of a slave is a mitzvah? Um, so it's a machokas between the chazanish and the magen avram. How to understand this? The chazanish thinks it's really rishus. It's totally optional. Even if the slave comes to the master and says, I want to stay your slave, the master could refuse. And the magen avram says, once the slave actually wants to be near sa, then the master has to do it. It becomes uh, an obligation. Okay. You can't do two Egla Arufas together. Obviously, it would be incredibly tragic for one city to have two uh, kinds of uh, Egla Arufa type of uh, homicide cases at once, but that would be a case where you wouldn't be allowed to do them each one, uh, both together. You have to do them each one separately. Interesting also to note that all of the examples in this Brisa, like Jenna said, are cases of doing two of the same mitzvah together rather than doing different mitzvot as a group. So there's no one going to say, oh, I can't be dominating and shake a ruler. Well, right, so all the it's, it's not that you can't do them yeah. at the same time. It's that there's a, there's a whole preparation thing with the Egla Rufa. You have to go out to the Northwest. Right. These are all kind of very ceremonial no processes. Into the, uh, the, uh, the oh, the Evet is also the Yishol El Elohim. You have to bring him to the no, court. You have to show it. No. Right? You just take Marseille. Take both. Anyway, we, we'll get it, you get into that when you get into Kedushin. Uh, it comes in the first pack of Kedushin. Okay. So the answer is, one Kohen can't do both, but you could do two Sotas really on the same day with two different Kohanim, or even perhaps at the same time with two different Kohanim, because then the Kohanim are not uh, doing it Chavilos, Chavilos. The Gemara continues, the Kohen, Ochez Bebegadea, the Kohen holds onto her clothing, so then yeah. Rabbanan, who parai, wrote Shaisha. So first he rips it, and then he ties the chevel. Why do you just tie the chevel so you don't rip too far? So we'll get into the chevel question in just a second. But first we have to talk about the ripping of the clothing. So the Gemara says, Akoyin ochez bebegadea. Then Rabbanan, who parai, wrote Shaisha. The Pasuk says you have to uncover or unbraid the woman's hair. Ain liela rosha. So we only know that it refers to her hair or her head. Gufami nine. How do we know about it even involves uh, uncovering and revealing her body, ripping, uh, ripping her clothing? Nine. Tamu domar ha'isha. It's not just Ufara et Rosha, but it's parat Rosh Ha'isha. So even the woman herself has to be revealed or uh, 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 torn open in some way. No, it comes to say that the coin even not just her clothing, but also the hair, hair and the body. So do you, do you learn, I mean, I don't think this is what you learn about in general hair covering. Well, hair covering, this seems to, in Suvos and Saritet, I think, uh, is the source 
uh, for that Gemara to try to say that at least a minimal amount of hair covering for a married woman is a deal right obligation, but there are a lot of different sources about that, debated back and forth. That really is the main source. The question of is it dot Moshe and dot Yehudid and how much how much hair and how much transparent and societal, those are all major questions, not for now. But big, big halachic questions to ask someone who has, uh, and there are a number of very good books written about it from a number of different perspectives, uh, so I ain't shum. Omer, im hayaliba, so this is talking about what if the woman is very attractive or perhaps... So there was like an ugly police or the uh, it's not. Well, how do you determine that? Like, you know, I don't know. Say, no, seriously. It's a good question. Keep, keep going. And that's yeah. also like, you know, but no, no, but other questions. I mean, Erva, right? You don't this is the question. The question is going to be here. How much does it inspire Hirurin? So remember, there will be Huda Chayish Lehirura. Rabbi Huda is concerned that people will have sexual thoughts because of the Sota ritual. The Rabbanan Lachayishi, Rabbanan don't care as much. Because we know about when we execute someone by skila, a man is totally naked, except he gets some kind of a loincloth, one piece of cloth in front. A woman gets like a double loincloth, one in the front and one in the back. erva doesn't mean that a woman's entire body is erva. Here, if you look in Rashi, woman's genitalia, or perhaps uh, in a sense, is visible from both sides rather than with a man, so a woman needs to be covered from both sides, but still, the woman's entire torso would be uncovered when they execute her by skila, um, and therefore, it seems like, even according to that opinion, um, we're less worried about hirhurim, uh, that's the Rabbanan's position, that's where Yehuda's position, Chachamim man is stoned totally naked, no, a woman cannot be stoned naked at all, uh, she has to be closed at the time of stoning. Um, right. Right. For sure. And also the thing to note as well is just the fact that so many of the parallel examples are from Mitat Beitin. The witnesses, we tire out the witnesses just like witnesses, or we tire her out like we tire out the witnesses for for a capital crime. Here are the parallels to Sosa and Strafe, uh, and the first Tosa from the next page, which we'll touch on hopefully in a second, uh, also. So we see here the Machlokas, whether whether a woman would be stoned naked or not. So Amaraba, Hacha, Tana Mai Shema, Totsimi Beitin Zakait, what if she leaves the Beitin, meaning she leaves the Sosa ritual totally innocent because she drank the water and she didn't explode or she didn't die or whatever it is? Um, and the Kohanim who are hanging around in the Beit HaMikdash, if you look in Rashi, Rashi says, They're hanging out in the Azar. An interesting question um, based on the Machlokas of whether or not the clothing, the Big Day Kahuna for a coin Hedyot, whether the Avnate is made of Shatnez or not, is whether Kohanim are allowed to just kind of hang around when they're not doing the avoda. Regular coin hadyot, if he's not doing the avoda, and if you think that the avnate is made of shatnez, then he's not allowed to be wearing the big day kahuna unless he's actually doing it. And then lots of different answers in Akronim about how how to get around all those interesting questions in that sugya. So... In that case, it's because she, she was killed. So there's no concern of Hirhurim in a case of a woman who's executed. So there's no concern about executing her naked. But here... I'm sorry, with what, a, I'm, what do you mean? Isn't he worried about Hirhurim at the time that she's naked? No, we're worried about... See, the concern here, be it Garuba Pirchei Kahuna, that after she leaves the Beitin and she's innocent, then all of these Kohanim are going to see her, whatever, she's walking around with the clothing, etc., that they'll have some kind of a lust for her, they'll have some kind of inappropriate thoughts about her. Uh, but in a, in a case of a woman who's being executed in Beitin, there's less of a concern. We're not really concerned for things that, that could be... But, oh, but only if she's pretty. We're worried about her. Again, and how much do you interpret that to mean that how pretty does she have to be or how not? I, 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 I don't know. No, That's a good question. Woman. You don't say, like, okay, well, she's pretty, she can leave her hair... It she has to cover her hair, but she's ugly. She, I mean, like... I don't understand. For sure. There's, there's to an error, there's an error. So what does that have to do with how pretty you are? Well, exactly. That's the machok. Is to remember the Rabbi Huda Chayish, the Rabbi We're going to see why in a second. Because, uh, okay. So then shouldn't they just, you know, they would go after anyway. No. A person doesn't have any Yetzir Hara, a person doesn't have inappropriate thoughts or inappropriate, uh, perhaps sexual thoughts in this context particularly, except for something that a person has actually seen. It becomes an interesting question regarding all other sorts of applications to, all other sorts of applications, Rabbi Linzer's podcast, etc. Uh, 
No, meaning exactly the point that in a case where where the women were executed and and then she's dead, then they don't see her again. There's no concern. But in case of woman, a married woman who's now walking around town or whatever, that that these kohanim will see her and they'll their thoughts will be. Yeah, I understand that. Yeah. Um, Oh, so Rashi says because of the concern, even if they see her uh, and she disappears and she goes back to her husband or whatever, that even then they'll be inspired to have inappropriate sexual thoughts about other women as well. Uh, Rashi says, even other women, they'll they'll be aroused to that possibility. Um, Yeah, okay. This is a good question. Fine, and, and so the answer, Rav's answer then is that no, they'll only have Yitzhar about her and not other women because they only have Yitzhar for the woman who they actually saw, but not another woman. Well, they'll see other women. They'll see other women, they won't see other women naked. Right. What, because the, the person's Yitzhar is only aroused for a person that they actually see, but not. Whatever. Uh, ask Rabbi Linda. Uh, Amarava. Amarava. So it sounds like Rabbi Huda's opinion contradicts his other opinion because here in Sota he seems to be more concerned for Hihurim, but in the case of um, uh, Skila he's less concerned about Hihurim. Right, this is the question. Are you going to say? Are you going to say that Rabbi Huda is still a problem, but the rabbis are, uh, to each other are not a problem? Ella, I'm a rabbi. The Rabbi Huda, the Rabbi Huda, Lokasha. Because so it's not a problem either way. So what's the reason? Because all of the women have to be punished for it. It's a passage from Yechezkel. In other words, in some way, the other women are going to have to see the shame that comes about to the Sota woman, and therefore they, they'll learn from her example. But there's no, in the case of execution, there's no... There's no need for any other humiliation because the, the capital punishment is itself a uh, punishment enough. Okay. So should we do both? Meaning, shouldn't we uh, expose her uh, in public as well as executing her? This is the drasha that gets brought up a million times in Sanhedrin. Um, whenever we do capital punishment, it has to be Borlo Mita Yaf. It has to be an appropriate death. And the rabbis apply this drasha to each of the four Mito Beitin to try to take what it sounds like from the Torah explicitly, for the most part, um, and, and back it off in a way that preserves the physical integrity of the human body. Um, I think it's Professor Loberbaum in Israel recently wrote a book about this, about basically the core principle of rabbinic understanding of capital punishment is, is the idea of Telem Elohim, that if a human being has a physical form that is in some way representative of God, then capital punishment needs to be carried out in such a way that does not deform the human body. Um, and therefore, Borolimita Yafet doesn't necessarily mean the most pleasant death, but is the, most, the death that leaves the human body most Yafet. It leaves the body intact, leaves the body totally unspoiled. Um, uh, look at Tosfos, the top Tosfos. Tosfos says, uh, sorry, we're not up to that yet, never mind. Okay, the house of the come up and be me. So, yes, yes. That's for sure. That's exactly the concern. That's a great question. And for sure, that's part of what's problematic about the SOTA uh, process. Uh, one possibility is, again, even a woman who is innocent of having had an adulterous affair has still disobeyed her husband's explicit request to her that she not be in Yichud with this particular man, and she was went into Yichud anyway in a public way with Adim, who really were able to testify to it. So in a certain sense, she still is throwing off uh, some of the responsibilities of her relationship with her husband, and she does disrespect that in a certain sense. Um, but again, she's innocent of adultery. She still did something fishy. Um, it's complicated. Yeah, well, right. He only dies if she ends up being guilty. Uh, but otherwise, he's totally innocent, which is another interesting question. question. Okay. One says that being... Of, um, her being embarrassed, being being uh, naked in public, is better than the pain 
tara uh, uh, of her physical pain, because when a, per- a woman it would be stoned or a person is stoned, the rabbis understand that the clothing provides some cushioning from the stones. So if you wear clothing when you're executed, then the physical pain is worse because it takes longer to die, but then you're less emotionally embarrassed of being naked in public. But if you die... Uh, naked, then you'll die faster because the stones will not be cushioned, but you'll you'll have so you'll have less pain but more embarrassment. So one opinion One says it's better to be physically embar- uh, to be embarrassed rather than and to have more pain. Uh, so which one is sort of a higher value in their mind for assessing mitayafa? Meaning they both apply the principle of mitayafa. You have to provide the best death possible, but they disagree about how to do that. So what if she's wearing white clothing? If she looks really good in black clothing, so you dress her up in ugly clothing or dirty clothing. No, they'll they'll come to have sexual thoughts about her. They're not actually worried about at all. Like, oh yeah, you know, I saw you in the the mitzvah. Not worried about that. It doesn't seem that that's the concern, at least from the Gemara, for sure. Uh, and again, part of the discussion in, in later Mepharshim is the whole Sota ritual, like we said, even a woman who is, in the case, suffolk guilty, or maybe she's totally innocent, etc. So how are we allowed to embarrass her? Embarrassing a woman, and actually on Daf Yud, Tosos is going to ask, embarrassing a person in public who says, like Shofeh Damim. So doesn't that mean that it's Yaharag Val Yavor to not embarrass somebody? And Tosos has an answer there, but that really is the question of, like, the severity of this ritual is that you're embarrassing someone without necessarily any good reason. Um, I still don't understand about how, who's, who's deciding who's an and who's not. Well, the water decides. No, who's an and? Meaning, when Huda says he's an and, you don't, you don't do that. Oh, na'eh. The Gemara doesn't seem to answer it. In a certain sense, it may be that this sugya is treating it as if all we're kind of ignoring that clause in the Mishnah, to a certain extent. Um, I'm, just do it all the time. Is that really I'm not really sure. Uh, I don't have a good answer for that. It's a, that's a very good question. Like it says specifically for a woman who's not, eh, like what does it mean? Eh? Good question. Okay. What if she's wearing jewelry, golden jewelry? Pshita. So we have to take it off. Pshita. Hashta. Because we're trying to make her look disgusting. We're trying to make her look embarrassed. So maybe if she's wearing her jewelry, it's even more embarrassing. You might say, like the common proverb, a person who walks around naked but with shoes on. And that's more embarrassing than being totally, totally naked. Because, like, what are you even doing? It seems illogical. It seems out of place. So a woman who's going through the Sosa ritual and then is also wearing her fancy jewelry might make it even more embarrassing for her compared to... Right. Exactly. So you say, Kamash uh, Malan, we don't necessarily apply that principle. So maybe they bring the rope, the Egyptian rope. Uh, the Yerushalmi says the reason why it's an Egyptian rope is because she did Kemaseyaretz Mitzrayim, uh, or perhaps she maybe did Kemaseyaretz Mitzrayim, so you bring an Egyptian rope. Another interpretation is probably not Chevel Mitzri, but Chevel Matsui. Uh, it's just a common, the common rope was woven from the palm palm fronds, and it's a rough material, and it's a very coarse kind of a rope, and that's another possibility for how to understand that. So, Bamine Rabbi Abba Merabhuna, Chevel HaMitzri Mahushiake Basota. Okay, so is the reason for this Chevel HaMitzri, is this Ma'akev? Is this a necessary part of the Sotah ritual? Mishum, Shaloi Shmitz B'Gadam so that her clothes don't fall down. Who, uh, uh, Mishum, Shaloi Shmitz What? Meaning, we were just going through how it's important to humiliate her. So you don't want to do too much, uh, or or because of the concern of of her being naked in the Beit Hamikdash or something but like she that. Really was, right? So, but she should it should that her clothing should be torn open, but then also so it doesn't totally fall down. She's not going to be standing there totally naked. It's that megalim et liba. You you tear open the shirt of her. Or you rip it. If you, you rip it, and then it sort of no, stays it, right. It, you know, you don't have to actually rip it. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Yeah. No, I'm not. I don't have a, such a good handle on what exactly is going on here. Um, right, they, it's a temporary thing, and then they still let her no, kind of wrap it up. Right? That was a mystery. It's a bit unclear. So they're trying to ask, is the Chevel HaMitzri Me'akev or not? Because the question is going to be, okay, so if the reason, if the reason is that her clothes don't fall down, so then you should be able to use even a very small cord, a small belt. Okay. Um, so if the reason is because you use the fancy belt 
to entice her her lover, then they, the Kohen has to bring a different kind of uh, material, Hevelah Mitzri, in order to hold up her clothes. I think you read, I think the Kosher Lala Mitzri is, is, is a right? The next part? Is, that, is it Ma'akev? Okay, that's Hevelah Mitzri. Go. Kosher Lala Mitzri, Kosher They tie it above her breast, Ma'akev. So it sounds like then that it should be Ma'akev. Amar Lei, Tenitua. Okay. No, because we have a, a different version of the Mishnah, a longer version, a more expanded version, that says, no, the reason you bring it is just so that her clothes don't fall down. Fine. Okay, so it's not Ma'akev. Right. Right, it has to be like a, a symbolic tearing in some sense, right. Tosfos, so the top Tosfos, asks... Um, about basically where does this rope come from? Do you buy this rope? So it says from the Yerushalmi that they buy the rope from Mishayare Halishka. They buy it from public funds. And Tosas then has a question. Do you buy the sword that you use for beheadings? Do you buy, buy the, the handkerchief you use to hold people's neck for chenek? Do you also buy those with public funds? In other words, the question, how much can we draw a parallel again between capital punishment and Tosa? Janet, do you have a question? Okay, so we keep going. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyone who wanted to see is allowed to see. Hagufakashi contradicts itself. Amar kolaroti liropa roa. It sounds like anybody who wants to see can come see. Ama loshna gavri loshna nashi. It sounds like there's no difference between men and women. Vahadartane kola nashim mutaro lirota. Women are allowed to see her nashim in anashim lo. It sounds like yes for women and no for men. Amar abaye targuma anashim amar le. So, uh, sorry, targuma anashim. Now just say that it means men, meaning the first part is just men. Women anashim. Targuma anashim. Oh, you're saying. Oh, okay, fine. Fine, fine, fine. Targuma anashim. That the, even the first part is just saying for the women to come and not men. But still, it says whoever wants to come can come. Okay. We say, Ella amarava kla rote lirotba roa loshna gavreg loshna nashe. Nashim chayavot lirota. Whoever wants to come, men and women have a choice whether they want to come or not. Right. They have to amend the Mishnah because it contradicts. And Nashim Chayavot Lirota, the women who are present have to go see. Shinemar, Venusu Kola Nashim, Velo Teasena, Kezimatena. That the women have to go see so that they don't end up doing the same kind of Zima, the same kind of uh, inappropriate uh, sexual activities that the Sota may or may not have been guilty of. Right. Exactly. Um, right. Um, the ne- we could read the next Mishnah. The next Gemara is going to go on to a long Agatha, so we'll start with that tomorrow. Uh, when Rabbi Linzer gets back, we could just read the Mishnah. So the Mishnah says, Bimida Shada Modeid Ba Modadim Lo. The idea of Mida Kenegi Mida. The way a person measures out his or her own life, that's how God is then going to measure it back against such a person. So, he, Kashtat, that's my la'avera. She dressed herself up with jewelry for her sin. Hamakom, nivala. God then takes away. Exactly. An assumption of guilt, for sure. Uh, That is part of the way the Mishnayot are very problematic. Hamakom, nivala. He, Giltat, that's my la'avera. And she revealed herself for a sin. Hamakom, gila, lea. So then God reveals her. She started her sin with her which really means genitalia, uh, and afterwards her, her womb, because presumably the concern of pregnancy from the adulterous relationship, so therefore her punishment goes in that order as well. But the rest of the body doesn't, is not damaged by the soapy water because it only affects those parts of the body. But then we actually felt like, you know, the difference between the, the bikna, you know... Like yeah, it's going to get into that. The Psukim talk about it in one way, and the Gemara is going to take it from there. Um, and this is going to go into a long Gemara about all this and things about... Uh, I, I didn't really prepare from here on, so okay. I don't want to keep going. Uh, so with that, we'll end here. we start with the Mishnah tomorrow on Chet Amudbet.